We are in week two of the series that Pastor Mike started last week called Unlocking Freedom in Your Life. The text for this series is John 8, 31 through about 35. We're going to read 31 and 32 today. So what causes fear and anxiety in our lives? Boy, there's a lot of things, isn't there? Finances are one thing I hear a lot. It's a big deal. It causes a lot of fear and anxiety in a lot of people's lives. Lack of, not having, oh, I don't have enough money. I got this big bill coming up. How am I going to make it? Oh, boy. Uh, career choices having to do with money. Oh, boy, this job doesn't pay enough. Should I get a different job? Should I look for something? Should I do this? Should I do that? Then there's relationships. Marriage relationships can have fear and anxiety associated with you. We can worry about all kinds of things and what ifs. Oh, man, what if she finds someone else and leaves me? And then if you're not married, should I get married? Or am I marrying the right person? Am I making the right choice? What should I do? And then friendships even. Boy, there can be conflict in friendships. There's all kinds of things. There can be hurts and things that people do that have rubbed you the wrong way and that can cause all kinds of fear and anxiety in your life, right? At work, there could be a coworker doing things behind your back or, or a boss that is just hard to get along with or something like that. There's all kinds of fear and anxiety that can come from all different kinds of relationships. And then there's health. As we get older, we start to be more concerned about our health. And you might have something going on going, boy, I don't feel right. Boy, what if it's something major? What if, oh, what if this and what if that? And oh, you start to worry about that and it starts to build, right? And you can go all kinds of places in your mind and wonder what's going on. You might have anxiety about the health of another person. You know, sickness, disease, even death. If you fear death, please come talk to me. Because man, there's no reason to fear death when you know the end result. And then there's a the spiritual aspect of life. Boy, a lot of people have a lot of fear and anxiety when it comes to spiritual things, right? Boy, am, am I in the will of God? Am I not? Am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right choice? Or is there something that you feel God wants you to do, but I'm not? Uh, is this right? Am I really saved? What does it mean to really be saved? If I die, will I really go to heaven? There are a lot of things in the spiritual realm that causes fear and anxiety as well. So what's the formula? How do we apply this formula? What does the Bible say about dealing with fear and anxiety? And what steps do we have to take to learn to really trust him and live in his peace? A really good example of the disciples themselves living this scenario out we talked about, this principle of uh, knowing and holding to his teachings, learning to really know the truth and being set free, is in Mark chapter 4, and we're going to read that today. This is a situation where the disciples are with Jesus, He'd been teaching all day long to this crowd by the seashore. In fact, they got to be so many of them that he ended up getting in the boat so that he could talk to them all because they were crowded around him. And he's talking all day long. And if you look at earlier in this verse, what he did a lot of the time was he told lots of really valuable parables that day. The parable of the sower and the seed. So what happens when people hear that Jesus is really the Son of God and our salvation the parable of the mustard seed, you have just the faith the size of a mustard seed and you can move mountains. And he was telling all these principles of the kingdom and explaining things and so people were really beginning to understand who he was and that he was the son of God. And then even when you look earlier in the, in the book, the disciples were with him and he healed all kinds of people. He was going around really establishing his ministry at this point. Healed all kinds of people. He healed a leper. He healed someone on the Sabbath day. So the righteous religious leaders were mad at him, trying to trap him, saying, you were working on the Sabbath by healing him. You aren't supposed to do that. So he was doing all of that stuff, and the disciples saw all of this and heard all of his teachings. So keep that in mind as we read this. So right after this, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat, 
There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. So the disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you even care if we drown? He got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So they're in the boat. Man, that storm comes up. And this is a serious storm because these guys are seasoned fishermen. They know how to handle themselves on the ocean. So they knew this is bad if they woke him up and the waves were coming over the boat. They might have been knee-deep in water. It was a serious situation. And Jesus is sleeping. You ever been in that place in your life? You feel like everything's going wrong. And Jesus, where are you? Are you sleeping? So they wake him up. He calms the wind and waves. Boom, they're gone. I love verse 40. Go back one verse. And this is key to this whole thing. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Remember what they've been seeing over the past weeks and months. Did they know his teachings? Oh, absolutely they knew his teachings, just like we talked about here. They knew his teachings, but they hadn't experienced. They didn't know the truth, just like we were talking about. And all of a sudden, they're in a storm of themselves, and it's affecting them. Well, now they take it seriously, and they experience that and go, wah! And Jesus calms the wind and the waves, and they've experienced it for themselves, and now they know the truth. And next, next verse 41, then the revelation that they come to is amazing. Who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? They went, oh, this really is the Son of God. Look what he just did. Even though they saw those other miracles, it wasn't them, right? They hadn't experienced it. Now they know the truth. So what do you suppose would have happened the next day if another storm came up and they were in the boat? Would they be all worried and freaked out? Probably not, because they know the truth. The truth has set them free from that worry and fear, and they go, hey, Jesus, do your thing. They got another problem. Take care of it. They have more confidence in him, right? And so that's what it takes is to go through things yourself, experience it, hold to the teachings, then you'll know the truth, and that's how you get set free. And I've had many opportunities for experiences like this in my life, as I'm sure you have as well. Not that many years ago, but quite a few years ago, I was uh, working for a pretty good-sized organization and doing well. I'd been there a few years, working myself up through the ranks. I was in middle management, managing a whole sales team, and things is go- are going good. And, man, everyone seemed to like me, and it was going really well. I loved what I did, had a great job, moving along real well, making a little more money all the time, and I think life was good, you know? So as you do that, well, things are positive. You're solid. You maybe buy a nicer car or do something nicer, and spend a little more money because you're only going up, right? Well, one day I'm at work, and all of a sudden they start pulling people into offices, and I'm like, I'm in management. I usually know what's going on, but this is kind of odd. And then one of the owners comes around the corner and says, hey, Larry, come here for a minute. Takes me in the office of the two owners and says, you know, we made some poor choices. Uh, We really like you. You're doing a great job, but we owe the IRS a whole bunch of money. We're way in debt. We have to cut corners. We have absolutely no choice. Today we're laying off 35 people, and you're one of them. Wow, had no expectation of that. 35 people in one day, just boom. So now I'm walking out of there kind of in a daze, in shock. Now i got to drive home and tell my wife, I have no job, what are we going to do? There's a situation for some fear and anxiety, right? Oh man, everything runs through your head. I was a Christian at the time, I was serving God, and this happened, and I, so I thought... I know the teachings of God. I'm going to hold to them. 
Trust him. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. Just bring it to me in prayer and supplication. And so I did that. But boy, that doesn't mean that I didn't have some fear and anxiety. Boy, there were some sleepless nights too, rolling, tossing and turning, going, what's going to happen? What, what if I can't find another job? I've got a family. I've got little kids. The cupboards are getting bare. The freezer's pretty empty. What, do, what if I can't even feed my kid? What if we lose the house? I can't make the next house payment. It just grows and builds and builds as, that, as you let those things roll around in your brain. You worry about all kinds of stuff. But I kept saying, Lord, no, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to trust you, and I'm doing everything I can to find employment and do the right thing. And I don't even remember anymore if it was a month, maybe two, if that, that I was out of work. It seemed like a year. Look, you know, when you're in the middle of it, it seemed like forever. But I think it was only about a month, so not that long even. But boy, a lot can happen in that amount of time. You can worry so much. But looking back on it, God helped me grow through that and end up getting a better job with a better company that I liked even more, and it was fantastic. So it worked out good. That was my in-the-boat experience. You know, I knew the teachings of Christ, but then I was in the middle of the storm myself, and then I experienced putting those principles into action. Now I'm free from it because now I can handle it a lot better if something else comes along in life, right? Am I completely free from fear and anxiety? No, of course not. I'm a human being. But we're one step closer. That's how the truth sets you free. It's a process. You learn, you get better at it. Let God do his thing in your life as long as you're holding to his teachings. So that was my in-the-boat experience. Is it possible to go through these types of experiences and not grow and not know the truth? Well, absolutely. If you don't hold to the teachings of God, you're not going to grow through them. In fact, people can get bitter and angry and turn the other direction in those situations as well. But I see in the scriptures there's two things that the Bible says we really need to do when we're in these situations in order to put God's promises into practice. Number one is we need to change the way we think, change our thought patterns and our thought habits, because it can get really wrapped up in the negative and in fear, can't we, if we let it envelop us? We can think about all kinds of stuff that are not of God. Fear and anxiety are not of God. We can look at 2 Corinthians 10.5 and see what it tells us there. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we have a role to play in this thing. Take captive every thought. We have to actively do that. That means don't think about the things you're not supposed to think about. When fear is gripping you and you're thinking of all those things that could possibly go wrong, go, stop. Fear is not of God, so I'm not going to think of that. But then what do you need to do? Because if you just try not to think about something, what do you think about? You think about that thing, right? You can't just not think about something without replacing it with something else. So if we're not going to think these thoughts, what do we need to do? Philippians 4.8 tells us this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So let's take those things and replace them with things that we should be thinking about. Start thinking about God and how wonderful and great and big He is. Start thinking about the good things you have in your life. It's hard sometimes. Like my situation, it was easy for me to think, man, I've got it so horrible. And you get tunnel vision and think how bad it is. But wait a minute. I woke up this morning in a warm house, in a warm bed. I had food to eat this morning. Praise God. I've got a wife that just loves me like crazy, which is fantastic. I've got a family. I've got kids. I've got little grandkids that I get to enjoy, and they live locally here. God is good. 
Just get your focus off all the negative stuff and start thinking about the positive things. This is what the Bible tells us here. And think about God and how wonderful and awesome he is and how he's blessed you. This is an action we have to take. Change your stinking thinking. The Bible says, hey, you have a role to play in this. And a lot of times that's why we miss out on the blessings of God because we're asking him for something, but we're not taking the action he asks us to do. It's right there. I can give you freedom from these things. Here's what you need to do. So let's do it. Take action. Change your thinking. And then number two, we need to change our actions. What actions am I taking or not taking that are causing me to be in this situation that's causing me fear and anxiety? What is there that I can do to change this situation and not have fear and anxiety anymore? I uh, had a good mentor of mine one time tell me that, he said, Larry, I fully believe that 80% or more of the things that we worry about never happen. They never happen. So why are we wasting our time worrying about them? Change your thinking. When I was in that situation, what was I worried about so much? What if I can't find another job? What if we lose the house? What if I can't feed my family? All of these things. Did any of those happen? No. We're still in the same house now, 20 years later. We never missed a meal. Not one. I did find another job, a better job. God is good. So we waste our time worrying about things that are never going to happen most of the time. Let's not do it. Stop and think about something else. And then we need to change our actions. That same mentor told me, he says, you know, I fully believe that at least 80% of stress and anxiety comes from indecision and inaction. I thought about that. I went, well, how do you mean? Let's say you're a business owner or a manager and you have, uh, let's say, an employee that's just not quite pulling their weight. And you like them, and they become kind of a friend of yours, and so they kind of gotten away with it. He showed up late a few times, and while well, you kind of got away with it, and then started doing it more and more, and then just not really doing the things that he was supposed to do. And then the other employees see that as well, and so they're like, well, if he can do it, so can we. And they're kind of looking at you like, how come you're not doing something about this? Can that cause fear and anxiety as a business owner or a manager? Man, that's the things that'll keep you awake at night. Sitting there going, oh, what am I going to do? What? Boy, I hope he shows up on time tomorrow. I mean, oh, man, these people are expecting me to do something, but what am I supposed to do? Now I've kind of let him slide so long that it's hard to put the hammer down now. Those are things that cause fear and anxiety. So how do you take care of it? Make a decision. Take action. And the fear and anxiety will be gone. Sit him down. Talk to him. Do whatever you have to do. Make a decision. Take action. Whatever you can do to alleviate the fear and anxiety, do it. Or in a relationship. Maybe there's an unresolved relationship that you have, something that God's been speaking to you about resolving. It's so important that we love one another and have a good relationship with each other and do the right thing. And maybe he's bugging you about that. So that causes a lot of fear and anxiety, doesn't it? Because you know that, man, I really should forgive this person, but I don't want to. Make a decision, do the right thing, take the action. Fear and anxiety, God. It helps you to do that, not the other person. So we need to change our thinking, we need to change our actions many times. So what are some other actions that we can take? If you're in a situation in life and experiencing anxiety, read your Bible. The Bible is so powerful. And I don't know if you have a private life with God where you pray and read your Bible, but I'm going to tell you that reading the Bible is such an anxiety reliever, and it gets your focus in the right direction. It helps you to change your way of thinking. The Word of God is so powerful. It's full of practical advice. Read Proverbs. If you need practical advice, read Proverbs. Man, oh man, there's so many things that apply to life there. Or there's 1 Thessalonians 4. We're going to read 9 through 12. Sometimes just something like this is what we need. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. 
And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you brothers to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Well, maybe you're in a situation where you love the drama and you got your fingers in everybody else's business. I can't believe he said that and she did that and he did that. Oh, man, if you're that type of person, that causes all kinds of fear and anxiety, doesn't it? Because you're so worried about everybody else and what's going on. Well, take this advice. Mind your own business. It says, make it your ambition to live a quiet life and mind your own business so that others respect you and, and all that. Sometimes we need that kind of slap just to say, hey, this is what you need to do. You got stress and anxiety, stop. Mind your own business. The stress and anxiety is gone. Don't worry about it, right? And there's just all kinds of practical things like that in God's Word that can help us. And man, the Holy Spirit will help lead you to the right verse at the right time sometimes, and it'll just, oh, that's what I need to do. So trust God. If you've got a pen and paper or your phone or anything, write this down. Psalm 91. If you're experiencing fear and anxiety, sit down, take some time, read Psalm 91, and then read it again. And then read it again, as many times as it takes to really understand what it's saying and to get a grasp on the power and the the love that God has for you and how he wants to help you out. That's a powerful chapter. Just read it over and over again and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Let's read Isaiah 41.10, and I'm going to show you how it's really helpful to read the scriptures, because many times we can read them and it really doesn't get through to us or doesn't mean anything and it can be frustrating. Take a verse like this, sit down. Quiet yourself, get with God, and read it. Let's just read through it. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But if you do this, slow down. Take one line at a time. I want you to do that right now. Make this personal. Let's take a look at that first line. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not fear. Who is with you? God. God Almighty is with who? Me. Do not fear. God is with me. Wow. The next line. For I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. God Almighty wants to strengthen me and help me. Read it again. Read it again. Let it sink in. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. He'll start telling you all kinds of things and giving you all kinds of answers. It's amazing when you let the presence of God soak. You really take line by line and read the Bible. There's so much there. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God will uphold you with what righteous right hand? The same righteous right hand that parted the Red Sea and so the Israelites could go through. The same righteous right hand that calmed the sea, just like that. The same righteous hand that created the sun and the moon and the stars, he promises will uphold me. Wow, that sounds pretty good. A little fear and anxiety leaves, doesn't it? Praise God. Just sit and read his word and soak it in and listen to what the Holy Spirit tells you. It's a big stress reliever. There's more and more that we could read. We don't have enough time to get into here. But reading God's Word also helps us to have an eternal perspective, and that's really important, to have the right perspective on things. I kind of learned this in a valuable way. Again, I was so long ago, I don't remember. I think I was in my late teens or something like that, and I was going through something that really was stressful. Of course, at that age, everything can be really major, Right? <laughs> But I, and I don't even remember what it was. It was so long ago, but I remember that I was really having a tough time with a situation. I was really praying, Lord, help me. I've got to figure out, this is terrible. My life is over. This is uh, tragic. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, Larry, 
how old will you be in five years? He said, five years from now, will this really matter? In fact, will you even remember it? And I thought, wow, probably not. So is it really that big of a deal? Well, even one year from now, is this going to be, probably not six months from now, you know, probably not. So you just open your perspective that much, and really this isn't such a major thing, is it? But then that's nothing, because my entire life is about this big in what God has promised us for eternity. If we really have an eternal perspective and understand who God is and what our future is and what he's planned for us, wow, this isn't too big of a deal, is it? Open your perspective. It's kind of like, let's say you're living your life and you're doing, okay, it's a good life. You have a job and you've got an old truck and a place to live, and so that's good. You're going through life. But one day, the phone rings and it's this law office, and they say, hey, you probably didn't really know him, but you had a distant relative. He died here a few days ago. Turns out he was a billionaire, and he left everything to you. And so here's what's going to be yours. You'll own this private island, this huge island in the tropics, with this mansion on it in the middle. Uh, And then there's about a billion dollars worth of stocks, bonds, investments, cash, money in the bank. So the only thing you need to do is you need to get to the Minneapolis airport, uh, and then the private jet's going to be waiting for you there, and they're going to take you to your island, and the attorneys are there. You'll sign the paperwork, and it's all yours. Woohoo! So you get a few things together and you jump in your 1987 Dodge pickup with 300 and some thousand miles on it. So rusty that you can see through the floorboards. The tires are bald. It's smoking. It's running rough. Are you at all concerned that you're in this piece of junk and people are looking at you like, what are you doing? Are you at all concerned about that? You don't care. You see, when you understand your destiny, you can put up with a lot, can't you? And those things don't seem like such a big deal. Get an eternal perspective. You're not just a mortal being. We're immortal beings. We're spiritual beings. We're child of the king. And he's got an incredible eternity laid out for us and planned. We can put up with some stuff here, can't we? Just widen your perspective, and that makes all the difference in the world. As we read the Bible, too, we find that prayer is incredibly important. What a tool for alleviating stress and anxiety, right? Spend time in the presence of God and pray. Read his word and pray. And he lays out a perfect example of prayer for us in the Lord's Prayer. And it starts out with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So it starts out with prayer, with reverence and praise to God, doesn't it? That's how we need to approach God, with reverence and praise and recognizing who he is and how great he is. You know, maybe you don't have a prayer life. Start. Start praying. Maybe say, I don't know how to pray. How do I do that? Well, you know how to talk to me or you know how to talk to somebody else, right? Talk to God. That's all it is. Just start, even though it's a couple of sentences, spend some time just praying, talking to God. You'll grow. You'll get better at it. You'll start to recognize his voice, and it'll be a two-way conversation. But spend time in prayer, and look at these patterns we have laid out for prayer. Some people say, should I bring the little things to God? Does he really care about these little things in my life? Well, I want to tell you, if it's a concern to you, it's a concern to him. That's the God we serve. He is an intensely intimate God. In fact, the Bible says he knows you so well, he knows how many hairs are on your head. For some of us, that's not as impressive, but he knows every hair that's on your head. He knows everything about you. If it's a concern to you, yeah, it's a concern to him. So bring him the little thing. We see that in the Lord's Prayer as well, because what's one of the next lines? Give us this day our daily bread. That's how he instructs us to pray. You can't get more basic than that. Give me today the, things, the basic needs of life. He's concerned about everything, so he wants us to pray that way. Let's take a look at Philippians 4, 
We're going to read 6 through 7, God's instructions to us about being anxious. And I talked a little bit about this before. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? The peace of God. But what do we have to do to attain that? Again, we look at that. Bring your request to God with prayer and petition. Petition meaning you're asking for things. But we approach Him with thanksgiving. That's the other important line in there. And there's an example in the Old Testament of prayer that I just love that is, to me, just the greatest example of how to approach God when we're in a stressful situation. It's in Isaiah 37 concerning King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was the king of Jerusalem, the king of Assyria. He wrote this long letter to King Hezekiah explaining what he was going to do to him and his, his city and how he was going to wipe him out and plunder and kill and torture the people and do all these things. And a huge part of that letter was mocking God. He says, who's this God you serve? What's he going to do for you? And just mocking God outright. Talk about a situation that uh, creates fear and anxiety, right? So King Hezekiah, to me, is a great example. Here's what he did. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord, and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to all the words that Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to all these peoples and their lands and have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wooden stone fashioned by human hands. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms of earth may know that you alone are God. Here's his problem, this letter. Lays it out before God. Says, God, you're an awesome God. You are all-powerful. We know that you're the true living God. And then he presents his request to God and trusts God. And what happened when you read down further? Uh, boy, God told Isaiah, the prophet, to send a letter to Hezekiah saying, here's what I've said. Send a cherub will not enter your city. He won't even shoot an arrow over your city because I'm going to take care of this. And he sent an angel of God who actually killed 185,000 of the Assyrian army in the middle of the night. They woke up and there were bodies all over. They turned and retreated to Nineveh and never came back. God took care of the situation. But what an example of a stressful situation. Lay it out before God. Come with a thankful attitude uh, and lay it out before him in your quest. So we can learn from this. God doesn't want us to face this alone either. Let's take a quick look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That sounds good. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As usual, just like these other verses we've been looking at, though, we've got to dig in and see what he's really saying. What does this mean? What's a yoke, first of all? A yoke is from back in the day when they used cattle and oxen, whatever, to pull plows or carts or things like that. A yoke is kind of shaped like the golden arches, but not that long. And it was something they would put an ox in here and an ox in there in this yoke, and it would hold them together. Because otherwise you might have one wanting to go this way, and this one wants to go that way, and this one wants to go fast, and this one wants to go slow, and you're not getting anywhere. So it holds them together so they're going in the right direction and accomplishing something. 
He says, take my yoke upon you. So be yoked to Jesus. He wants to come alongside you, put his arm around you, be yoked to him and go the right direction. If you already have a yoke on, it's hard to put another one on. And we can be yoked to a lot of things, can't we? So take off the yokes that don't belong and get yoked to Jesus. And he says, I am gentle, I'm humble. I want to take you under my arm. Let's go back to the first verse of that. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn from me. So it's not just as simple as saying, yeah, God, I want to take your yoke on me, and then all of a sudden you're free. It's a process. He wants to be yoked to you and learn you and guide through this process of knowing his teachings, being yoked to him. He'll help you go through some things. You've got to experience some things to know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. But he's a God that wants to do that for us, isn't he? Praise God. He wants to set us free. But he leaves it in, in our hands too. And I think sometimes he's frustrated as we are when we're praying, God, how come I'm not being set free from this? He's saying, I've laid it all out there for you. Spend some time in my word and learn my teachings. Spend some time in prayer with me and let me guide you through this and let's learn the truth and let the truth set us free.